0: Like it was better than when you were up here. Uh, I think you guys are going to be napping today. All right, we're going to try not to make that happen. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning and glad to be with you. Um, let's get this out of the way real quick. One more week. Last week, if you were here, you know we talked about giving. And that's one of those topics that, man, you don't want to go to church and hear the preacher talk about giving. So let's do this. I'm I'm going to give you a chance to just groan all collectively one time, get it out of your system. Uh, Okay, I'm going to say we talk about giving today, and then you groan. Ready? One, two, three. We're going to talk about giving one more day today. Great. Okay, good. Now, I say that because, hey, we all know that giving is one of those topics that's kind of iffy. You know what I mean? You, You don't want to go to church, and if you're visiting a church, you're like, see, I knew it. I know this church is no different than any other church I went to. They're talking about money. The first thing I hear from them is money, money, money. Stay tuned because it's not going to be what you expect. Stay tuned. I'm not, I'm not going to be giving any guilt trip today. I'm not offering you any kind of uh, you know, item that I'm selling that if you just hold on to it, if you just give me enough money that you can take this home and then you'll get wealthy off of that. I'm not offering anything like that. When the play comes by later, look, if you're visiting this morning, we have no expectation of you. Don't worry about putting anything in that plate if you don't want to. That is not our goal. I'm not going to lay a guilt trip on anyone. And if, you, if you're a member uh, here, you, you've been coming for a while, I'm not laying a guilt trip on any of you either. Instead, what I want us to be able to do is see what does the Bible have to say about giving our money. Because it's one of those areas that it, it has a lot of influence on us. You know, the, 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 the way you handle your money and what you do with it, it says a whole lot about who you follow where your allegiances are. So uh, last week we looked at why do Christians give, this week uh, we're going to try to answer the question, how do Christians give, and I want to give it to you up front, so that way if you do decide you're going to nap today uh, during the message, now you know what we're going with, and if you don't walk away with anything else this morning, this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. When it comes to how Christians give, the more willingly we give, the more joy we will have in giving. The more willingly we give, the more joy we will have in giving. And so we're going to unpack that this morning and and see if we can make some more sense of that. But let me start by illustrating this principle. The more willing we are in giving, the more joy we have in giving. Let me start by saying this. You know, um, it it really is a universal principle. And it applies to more than just giving, right? So the more willing we are in doing something, the more joy we have in doing that thing, right? So, for instance... uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a, you know, a huge project guy around the house. If I said that, my wife would be the first one to stand up and call me out, right? But here's, here's how it, it goes with me in projects, like, If There's something that has to get done at the house. If I can do it on my terms, if I can do it when I want to do it or I can do it kind of willingly, I'm, I'm probably gonna enjoy doing that project. But if somehow, that item makes its way onto a honey-do list, which I really don't have a whole lot of items on that list, just to give due credit to my wife, right? But if it were to make it, let's just say that list were present in my home. If it made it on that list, all of a sudden, like that, I'm less willing to do that project. And I'm not going to have joy if I do it, because now I feel like I'm being forced to do it. I'm feeling like I'm being compelled to do that project. Right? But if I do it on my own terms, if I do it when I want to do it, how I want to do it, kind of on my own terms, I'm willing then I'm going to experience more joy in that, right? All right, let me get to you another way. Um, I like to work out. I like to exercise. It's like my one hobby that I have. So a lot of times you guys will ask me, like, what do you do with your free time? What is your hobby? I like to work out. If I have any extra time to be on that, then there's other things I certainly do like to do, but that's just something I enjoy doing, and I do it willingly. But there's one or two times a year where I don't do it willingly. See, when I do it willingly, I enjoy it because I'm making the choice to go. I'm making the choice to go to the gym. I'm making the choice to put in the time, and I enjoy doing that. I even enjoy running sometimes. <laughs> One or two times a year, I go and do it. And it's when I have to do my fitness assessment for the military. It's not, that, it's, it's not an issue of can I pass that fitness exam. It's not an issue of am I able to pass it. It's all of a sudden an issue of now I have to do it. Now I'm being compelled to work out for a test, for an assessment. And then all of a sudden, I don't have any joy in doing that. Because I'm no longer doing that willingly. I'm now doing it under compulsion. I have to be assessed. I have to be graded. I have to do those push-ups, sit-ups, and run. Normally, I would be fine with that. But the moment I don't do it willingly, the less joy I have in doing it. The same is true for you, so let's say if you're you're a student and you've gotta read, right? Maybe you you got into a major because you really like that major. It's nursing, it's history, it's science, whatever. You like reading about those kind of things. You love reading about history and and the wars and the the different things that, that maybe you like to specialize in. Or maybe you love reading about the human body and how it all works and how you can take care of it. But the moment your professor says, you need to read these chapters and they're due tomorrow, all of a sudden you no longer have as much joy and reading those chapters, right? If it can apply to any topic. All of a sudden, if you were compelled to do it, the joy that you once had in doing it when you did it willingly, it's gone, right? It's a universal principle. The more willingly you do something, the more joy you have in doing something. So this applies whether you're a Christian or not. This, this is something that whether you call yourself a Christ follower or a Jesus follower this morning or not, this principle applies. The more willing you are to do something, the more joy you have in doing it. So as it applies to money and giving, the more willing you are in giving, the more joy you will experience in giving. Here's the difference, though. This morning, we're looking at why do Christians give? So maybe you're a visitor, maybe you, you're new to the church world, or you didn't grow up in the church, or you, you started out, and then you got out, and now you're just getting back in, and, and you've always kind of wondered, why do Christians give? I mean, I kind of watch this and. It seems like people just they automatically just do this. Why do Christians give? And how are they supposed to? Is that like some kind of guy? And that's kind of where we're going this morning. The more willingly give, the more joy you have in giving. And so we're gonna be back in First Chronicles this morning. First Chronicles chapter twenty nine. If you were here last week, it's the same verses we looked at last week. But I got the page number right this week, I believe, it's page four seventy-two. Did I get the page number right this week? Yeah, okay, good. Page 472, if you need a Bible, there should be a few on the chairs in front of you. Uh, grab that, and that's where page 472 is. But 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and uh, I've added one verse to it. I've just backed this up a little bit to verse 9 instead of verse 10, where we started last week. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through it, and then we'll pull out a few verses, because I want you to see this week how Christians give. Last week was why. Now we're pulling out how Christians give. So First 1 Chronicles 29, 9 through 19, let's, uh, let's look at that together. Verse 9. The people were delighted with their donations, for they contributed to the Lord with a willing attitude. King David was also very happy. David prayed for the Lord before the entire assembly. O oh, Lord God of our Father Israel, you deserve praise forevermore. O oh, Lord, you are great, mighty, majestic, magnificent, glorious, and sovereign over all the sky and the earth. You have dominion and exalt yourself as the ruler of all. You are the source of love and honor. You rule over all. You possess strength and might to magnify and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your majestic name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be in a position to contribute this much? Indeed, everything comes from you, and we have simply given back to you what is yours. For we are resident foreigners and nomads in your presence. Like our ancestors, our days are like a shadow on the earth without security. O Lord, our God, all this wealth, which we have collected to build a temple for you, to honor your holy name, comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine thoughts and are pleased with integrity, with pure motives. I contribute all this. And now I look with joy as your people, who have gathered here, contribute to you. O Lord, God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, maintain the motives of your people and keep them devoted to you. Make my son Solomon willing to obey your commands, rules, and regulations, and to complete building the palace for which I have made preparations. All right. So here's here's kind of the backstory of what's going on here. Um, You may may or may may not remember that David, uh, Israel's second king, Israel's greatest king, uh, that that God had this unique, special relationship with, Uh, he has come toward the, the latter part of his life, And he has decided, you know what, I've got a house, I've built this palace for myself. And then he's looking around and he realizes, we still got the place where God has chosen to dwell. His his presence has chosen to dwell and where we keep this this special box that they call the Ark of the Government. He's still dwelling in a mobile tent. It's just a tent. But here, David's now got this permanent palace. And so he decides, I want to build God a, 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 a temple, a structure that is worthy of him. And so in that, in that, God comes to David and has a very honest conversation with David where he says, David, look, uh, you are not going to be the man who builds that temple for me. David, you've got too much blood on your hands. See, David was a man of war. He was a warrior, and he was, he was uh, one who conquered many of uh, Israel's enemies. It was a good thing, right? God's not shaming him for being a man of war, but just you've got too much hand, uh, blood on your hands. I want a man who is characterized by peace to build my temple. And David, that's going to be your son, Solomon the next king of Israel, the third king. And so David and and God kind of get this thing worked out where Solomon's going to be the one to build a house, but David realizes, you know what? That doesn't prevent me from being able to give the resources needed because there's going to be lots of resources needed. And so what we see going on before these verses is David ponies up his own resources. He gives up his own gold, his own silver, his own precious stones, wood and iron, and he just gives and gives it generously. And then he goes to his people and Though he's a king and has all authority over the people, he's sovereign. He could have said, of you guys pony up. But he didn't. Instead, so he goes to his people and he says, whoever's willing, whoever desires to give, they also give. And, and, and he sits back and then he watches the people just come and they start giving. And they give gold and they give silver and they give precious stones and wood and iron. And David's sitting back and he is amazed at what's going on he can't believe the generosity of his people as he's watching them willingly give. And so he's praising God. And so we're going to look at really three verses this morning. The first one is verse 9. So look back with me at verse verse 9 there. All right, so in in chapter 29, verse 9, we see this. The people. So David's watching the people. He said, who desires to give? Let them give. And he says in verse 9, the people were delighted with their donations, for they contributed to the Lord with a willing attitude. David was happy as well. So there's really just two things that stand out in that verse, right? Uh, they gave and they were delighted with what they gave. And then they were willing in their attitude. So let's look at that. First one is they were delighted. right? When they gave all of their stuff, all of their, their donations, they, they, they found gladness in giving. They were excited, they were happy, they delighted, they found joy In giving. And already that's a picture that's contrary to what we most experience and most see. Most people do not give of their money, of their possessions, and delight in doing that. And maybe, maybe you're you're that person, maybe you've been that person. I have, where where you kind of the plate comes around at church, or someone's asking you for, for some help, and you pull out your wall and you're like, $5 bill. I was going to get another Iron Tree drink this week with that. You know? And then you hand it over. And you're like, oh. right? You begrudgingly hand it over. There's no joy in that. Or or you hand it over and, and you're like, oh, man, there was that, I write that check and there goes that gun that I was saving up for this, this month. And I was going to get another boat this week. You know I mean? Whatever the case may be, you're know, there's no joy in giving. You don't delight and giving over. Maybe you've been that person. Maybe you've had that moment. Maybe you know someone like that. Giving away of our possession, of our money, of our wealth, and delight are not natural for us. It does not come naturally for us. And because we are people who like to hold tightly to our things. We like to hold tightly to our money. After all, I worked for that money. After all, I earned that money. You know, and you're not working at all, or, or whatever the case may be. You know, and you, you hold tightly to so it. That's more natural for us. Not what we see going on here, where David says, look, whoever wants to give, whoever desires to give, give. And maybe, I don't know what's going on in David's mind. Maybe he's sitting back going, we might have two or three, maybe. Maybe we can get one of our biggest givers, maybe our wealthy people in the kingdom. Maybe they're going to a lot more to cover it. Instead, he watches person after person bring up their stuff. And he's amazed at the generosity. He can't believe it. He praises God because they delighted and did it. They found joy. They found gladness and did it. The second thing we see in verse 9 here is the attitude. They did it with a willing attitude. And, and see, This is really interesting. Because the word that, that is behind willing attitude, the Hebrew word that goes there, you know that word. Shalom. What does that word typically mean? How would you understand shalom? Peace. Yep, yeah, peace. Right? That's the word that's used there. They gave with a willing attitude. They gave willingly. Shalom. Typically it means peace, but that's not all it means. In fact, that's one aspect of what shalom is. Means. As you dig deeper into the word shalom, it actually has uh, deeper roots where it means wholeness, completeness, devotedness, undividedness. Something that is called shalom is something that is whole. It's not missing anything. Uh, something that is shalom is not divided. It's all complete. It's all there. Sometimes, when it's translated in other contexts, we see it uh, described as wholehearted devotedness. Shalom. Wholehearted devotedness. Incidentally, that idea of peace comes because when a person is complete, when a person is whole, they have peace. question then becomes, what makes the person whole? Another day. Right? But wholehearted devotedness. That's how they gave. They gave willingly. There was no undividedness. In their giving. They weren't half-minding, half of their mind saying, I'm gonna give, and half of their mind saying, I'm gonna hold on to it. They gave willingly. David didn't force them, though he could have. Instead, David approached and says, Whoever desires to give, give. And so the people willingly gave. They were wholeheartedly devoted. They were all in. They they weren't trying to, to hang back. and and, and say I'm holding on to this part or I'm going to wait and see how others give and then I'm going to give they were all in they gave wholeheartedly they gave willingly and so they delighted when they gave Right. that's that's the first verse now jump down with me to verse 17 that's the people let's look at David verse 17 says this David speaking I know, my God, that you examine thoughts and are pleased with integrity. With pure motives, I contribute all this, and now I look with joy as your people who have gathered here contribute to you. So David has kind of been watching this, he's sitting back, he's watching this, and then he realizes, you know what? God is the one who is enabling this to take place, all this generosity, because as we saw last week, God uh, is the one who is all-powerful, he's the one who is supreme overall. And then he is more generous. And so when we had looked last week, we said, why do Christians give? Christians give because God is more powerful and God is more generous. Or we might say it this way. Christians give because God is able to act and God has acted generously. And so as David's looking at this, he's saying, God, you're the one who has all power. You know, you're a king, a sovereign, the one who has authority over people. He's saying, no, God, you are the one who gives power. You are the one who is able to act. And then he says, and God, all that we're giving, all the stuff that we have, it's just from you anyway. We're just giving it back to you. So the God, who is able to act, did act, and he was generous towards his people. And David's realizing this, that the God who acted has acted generously towards his people and he's saying, so God, you know my heart. That's verse 17 now. He says, God, I understand that you're a God who looks at the heart. You examine thoughts and you're pleased with integrity. Now David knows this very well. If, if you grew up around church, maybe you remember this story. If not, here it is. This is how David became king. He's the runt of the family, the baby. In fact, he's probably born illegitimate, okay? And Samuel, after King Saul is, is, is on his downturn, goes to look for the next king that God has identified. So he goes to Jesse, this man, and, and he goes to Jesse and says, Show me all your sons. Jesse brings out the oldest, and he brings out the next. And he brings out all of his sons, and they're you know, the good-looking boys, and they're tall. And, and as he goes one by one, the Lord whispers to, to Samuel, No, that's not the one. No, that's not the one. And he gets through all of the sons that Jesse has presented to Samuel. And Samuel goes, well, need one is the one that God has selected. Do you have another son? Well, yeah, he's, he's out in pasture. Why was David left out in pasture? Probably because he was an illegitimate child. Not a lot of, not a lot of pride behind <clears> that. Hiding him. And so Samuel says, no, no, go ahead and bring him. Go ahead and bring him. Brings him. God says, that's the one. That's the one, and part of what what God had revealed was man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. That's how David was selected. He's the runt, the baby of the family, possibly a very illegitimate child who has uh, you know scandal surrounding his birth and his life. God says, no, that's the one right there. I look at his heart, not the outward appearance, not circumstances. David says, God, I know that you examine thoughts. That's been his experience. I know that you are pleased with integrity. That is someone acting in a way that is consistent with what they believe. God, I know you desire that. I know you're not a God who just wants us to perform religious duties and behaviors and just go through motions. God, I know you're not a God who's pleased with just sacrificing animals but our heart not being. God, you want integrity. You want our hearts to be behind what we do. God, I know that's you. So God, with pure motives, I contribute all this. Pure motives. David's heart is good in what he's given. His heart is, is, is consistent with his actions. The generosity that he has displayed is an overflow of his heart. In other words, David is not giving so that he can manipulate God. Why would David want to manipulate God? Well, remember what he's giving to. He wanted to be the one to build this temple so that's not going to be you. Think about how, step back for a minute, think about history, ancient civilizations. How are some of the ways that we remember some of these great rulers and kings? Well, conquests of war, how many people they overcame, and battles they won, won, uh, how much territory did they take over? What kind of buildings did they build? Think about Egypt, pyramids. As you study the pharaohs of Egypt, you find out that one of the things they did was they liked to build and then a person was remembered after they died because of what they built. The temple to their name, or were the structure and the statue that they built. There's a lot of pride behind building and being the one who gets to build. And so God has said to David, David, you're not going to be the one to build this temple for me. Your son Solomon is. David could have, could have given it so generously in hopes that he would change God's mind. Other gods would treat it that way. Other people who worshiped other gods, they would do things, they would give things in hopes that their giving, their generosity or their actions would influence their God to change their mind. They would please their God and therefore the God would do or give them what they want. And David says, look, I'm giving with pure motives. In other words, he's not giving generously so that God will let him build the temple. David says, no, I'm giving out of an overflow. My heart... My motives are pure. He says, I, I do this with pure motives. I contribute all this. And now I look with joy as your people who have gathered here contribute to you. When you watch someone give willingly or do something willingly, maybe, maybe you've done it yourself or it's something that's close to your heart, and then you watch them or someone else do that, it brings joy to watch them do It it brings joy to watch someone be generous in what they do. Uh, When it comes to the church here and the finances, I don't know what individuals give. I don't look at that. I don't care to look at that. I know what our giving is each week. I know what our financial situation is. I know what our budget is. I keep track of that kind of stuff and work on that kind of stuff. But I don't know individual giving and I don't necessarily want to. But there was a day recently where I was standing here in our office. Someone else was opening up the mail. And sometimes we get checks in the mail. And, and and they opened up this check. Now, I did not see the amount, and I don't care what the amount was. The reaction was enough. He opens up the check. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow, Justin. Like, I, I mean, he just kept it, wow. And I'm just, I knew the person who I knew the person who sent that in was giving willingly because that person doesn't even go to this church. And that person consistently mails in checks. And to see the reaction to the generosity that, that was being displayed here, that brought me great joy. I don't even have to know the number. I was just so delighted to see the joy that someone else experienced, the amazement that someone else experienced when they saw the generosity of another person. And they don't even go to this church. It was delightful. That's what David's experiencing. He's sitting back and he's watching people give. He's given. He's done it willingly. But he can't impose on someone else to give willingly like he did. And he's watching the people just give generously. And he's delighted. He finds great joy. The more willing we are, when we give, the more joy we have in giving. Let me take you to one New Testament passage today, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we'll uh, show you the page over there, this page 1306, if you're using one of those two lines. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. All right? The more willingly we give, or the more willing we are in giving, the more joy we will have in giving. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a letter written by a man named Paul. Right? If you grew up around the church, you know about Paul. Um, and if you didn't, this is a guy whose name once was Saul. See, the Bible does thing where they change names, where people have changes of attitudes and such, or changes of direction in life. And one time, Paul, who we're about to read about, about here, was named Saul. And, and this guy was a guy who was going out and killing Christians. This guy was single-handedly taking out the church as it was beginning. He was well-known for killing Christians. Until God got a hold of him and changed his life. And he saw Jesus for who he really is. And then his direction was changed. And he is the guy now who God has used to write the majority of the letters in our New Testament. Because that's just how good God is to take a person like that and say, I'm going to change your direction in life. And now I'm going to use you to write the majority of the letters in what's going to be called the New Testament. That's, that's this guy, Paul, right? So he's writing to this church, and he's traveling to these churches that he's planted or maybe he's visited. And some of the churches that he's uh, in acquaintance with, they've come on some hard times. There's a famine in the land. And food's hard to come by. And, and so as he's going along to churches, he's letting them know, hey, this is what's going on in this church. Um, do you have something you'd like to give along the way? And he, so he's writing the Corinthians, and he's saying, hey, what you've told me you're already kind of storing up to give to this church, I'm going to be coming to visit you soon. Have it ready when I get there. And, and, and so as he's kind of telling them, I'm coming your way, have your, your offering ready, have things that you want to send uh, to this church, ready when I get there. He also takes a moment to teach them a little bit, just in case someone's struggling with, why should we give to that church? I mean, we have our own people to take care of. Why should we consider taking care of other people? And so he, he, he gives them a little bit of a teaching on why they should give. So look with me at chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And so Paul says this, when it comes to giving, when it comes to what you give, each one should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, hey, when it comes to your giving, when you're trying to decide what you want to give, think about it. Pray about it. And then decide what you want to give. In other words, Paul's not saying each family needs to give this amount or this percentage of their take-home salary. Paul says, consider what you want to give. Think about it. I imagine what's involved in that is, you know, I'm praying, what God, would you have me give? I'm looking at my budget, what can we give? You know, what's doable? And, and he'll actually go on and tell him, hey, you know what, don't don't give to the point where you're poor, and, and and don't worry about the fact that that maybe as you give, you're giving away too much because God's gonna take care of you, and that's what he's he counteracts all that, but he says, give what you decide to do. Decide. Whatever each one has, decided to give, give. But then he says, when you give, whatever you decide, see, because Paul's not saying you have to give this much or this percentage, whatever you decide, don't give reluctantly. That's the first thing. Don't give with regret. that has been there. Maybe you've been there. Where you, you hand over something and going back again, man, I want to buy that boat or that gun or, you know, I need, man, I was my lunch money for the day. I want to go eat out lunch today. And so you give, but you're regretting when you give. Well, in my case, Iron Tree, you know, Starbucks, you know, I just got to cut my visits down, you know, somewhere, right? And you're just reluctant in giving. I wish I didn't have to give I gotta kind of watch this these. I like some of those things. I'm, I'm seeing husbands and wives, you know, and wives going like this. When I say boats or guns or Starbucks or something like that, you know, it hits us all somewhere. Everybody's got their place, right? So, don't give with regret, Paul says. That's not good. Don't don't give and wish you hadn't given. I mean, maybe you've been that person, or maybe you were sitting next to that person one time, where as the plate comes by, they hang out their wallet, see what they give, they kind of flip through it. Oh, no. Then they mumble something under their breath about the church and crooks and something like that, right? They just That's regret. That's reluctance. That's giving when you didn't want to give. Paul says, don't give that way. Nor should we give and attach conditions to giving. In other words, I'm gonna give, but I want to make sure you use it this way. Or don't use it that way. And Think about this. So here's coming around the backside of that here. If I'm giving, but then I say, I want you to give it this way. I want you to use it that way. I'm going to regret giving to you or whatever the organization, if you don't use it the way I think you should use it. That's regret. That's reluctance. And in in that case, I'd say we either need to reevaluate who we're giving to. Maybe we shouldn't give to the organization or the person. Or maybe we need to reevaluate what's going on inside. Why am I reluctant? Why am I regretful in giving that? I think attaching conditions to how we give reflects that we're reluctant to give sometimes, but we have regret in giving. Paul says, don't give that way. If you're going to give and then say, why are we giving that church in Jerusalem? Can't they take care of themselves after all? they got all the big weeks down there. Don't give. Paul says, whatever you decide to give, don't do it reluctantly. Then he goes on and he says, or under compulsion. In no, other words, don't give because you feel like you have to give. Give because you feel guilty if you don't give. Don't give because someone gets up in front of you, a preacher, a rabbi, or teacher, or, or some TV evangelist, and they say to you, you've got to give. Don't give just because someone tells you you've got to give, and you feel like, if I don't give, I'm not going to measure up, or I'm going to miss out on a blessing, or whatever it is. Paul says don't give because you feel obligated. Right? This is that, uh, go back to 1 Chronicles, this is they gave with a willing attitude. They wholeheartedly heartedly devoted to giving. Paul says, do the same. Whatever you decide to give, set it aside and make sure you can give without regret. Make sure you're not giving it just because someone said you had to give it, or you feel guilty if you don't give it. If you give because someone says you have to give, if you give, because you're going to feel guilty if you don't give, you are settling for so much less than what God has for you to experience in giving. God doesn't want us to to give out of obligation. God doesn't need our money. God's not a God who's entertained by us jumping through religious hula hoops. Instead, when we give as God wants us to give without compelling, without regret, what we actually start to experience. We get a little taste how God gave, and when we start to taste how God gave, then we find great joy in being able to do what God does. Paul ended the verse by saying, "God loves a cheerful giver, someone who delights in giving, someone who's glad." And Why would God love someone who's happy without giving? I mean, if if God just wants our money, does it really matter how you give it? It's not about the money. God does not need money. Money ends here. Money ends on this earth. God is not bound by money. Money is something people have created. When, and it's looked different in every culture. It looks different over the time. Whatever people assign value to, that's their currency. And then they trade that for things. That has taken place in all of human history. But that is not God creating that. It doesn't matter what it is. God can take whatever people value and use that however he wants. He doesn't need those things. They're created things. God's not created. God loves a cheerful giver. Because that's talk about how Christians should give. Remember I said uh, the the, the statement I want you to walk away with this morning is the more willingly we give, the more joy we will have in giving. And that will apply to you whether you call yourself a Christ follower or not. Whether you're a Christian or not. You're going to find more joy in giving the more willing you are. If you're not a Christ follower, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're going to have to find some motivation to be able to give willingly and find joy. And maybe that's, you know, I'm going to find a cause I can believe in, or, you know, what am I going to get out of this if I give? Maybe those are some of the motivations you find. But for the Christian, for the follower of Christ, that does not suffice. The motive makes all the difference. When we give, and we can give willingly, wholeheartedly, all in, without regret, not feeling obligated to give, and then we find the life of giving? Our motivation should be that the God who can act is the God who did act generously towards sinners. This is the way God gave. When God looked down and he saw creation and humanity go astray and sin started to impact their world, God did not have any obligation on him to give. None. God would have completely been justified to wipe it all out and say, you know what, try that, done. They're a loss. God lacks nothing. He didn't didn't give his son because he was obligated to. Nor do you find, as you read throughout the different letters of the Bible and the books of the Bible, that God gave, and then as he gave his son, he regretted to give his son. You don't find that. Instead, what you find is Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love. This is how God shows his love. He, he Christ died for us. He gave his son, right? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Does that sound like a God who's giving out of obligation? When people are walking away from him, loving other things, not worshiping him, and then the God gives the very Savior they need to be restored in a relationship with him? That's not a God who's giving out obligation. That's not a God who regrets giving. And he, he, he extends mercy to people who are corrupted, who are tainted, who are unclean. When we give out of obligation or compulsion, we settle for far less than what God has. But instead, I think God has more for us. And the reason we can say that worship as a Christian is giving is because when we give willingly and we find joy in that giving, we taste a little bit of our God. We reflect him a little bit more. We act like he acts. And when we realize that that's how God gives, that should bring us joy to be able to give back and be a part of what he's doing. So the more willingly we give, the more joy we find and giving. <clears throat> Some of you this morning, maybe you've been that person where um, you know, you've given and, and it's been years since uh, you just started giving, but you've never really thought about why you give. Right? You never thought about why when a plant gets passed you, you put something in the, in the offering or, or why you mail your check in or why would someone you're walking in Walmart ask you for money to give. You maybe never question why you just kind of do it. I think you're missing out on some, some joy and some, some delight that can be found in giving if you would spend some time thinking about why you give. See, because God's not, God's not pleased with just, just going through the motions, it hey, over. There's so much more for us to experience than giving. So maybe this morning, that's you. Whenever the next time you give, whether it's this morning or whether it's another day or some other cause or whatever it may be, maybe you need to spend some time thinking about, why do I give? Why do I hand it over? What's behind that? What's my motivation? Am I doing it willingly? Do I find joy in it? Some of you this morning, maybe you are that person who in plate class, you're the one mumbling under your breath, you to church crooks, they go hand-in-hand, you know, something like that. Maybe that's you This morning, maybe you need a pass from giving. Maybe you've handed it over because you just feel guilty before you leave, and you know somebody's watching. Pass, man. Walk away instead, of delighting in something rather than begrudging it. God doesn't need the money. Wherever you are, in the room, realize this: God has so much more for us in the process of giving, and it has nothing to do with him needing money. It has to do with us. Experiencing that delight and that joy that God has. The more willingly we do that, the more joy we have in doing that. Can you imagine if more people in churches all across the world were to demonstrate that kind of generosity that's motivated not out of obligation, not with regret, but instead they have great joy in giving because they know they're giving willingly and they're being a part of what God's doing and this is how God has given to them? Can you imagine the way people would respond? Wow. How, how do you give so generously? H- how do you hold so loosely to your money, to your wealth, to your possessions, when all I can do is I'm trying to hold on to as much as I can, and the government's trying to take too much of it, you know? How do you <coughs> do that? It would open up doors for God to work in people's lives and for you to have conversations with them about your generous God. And I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about when people say, why do you give so generously? You now can say, because my God has so generously given to me when he did not withhold his son for a sinner like me. Now, now you're talking about the things God wants you to talk about. And that door gets opened as your life is on display. The more willingly we give, the more joy we'll have in giving. So, Father, um, we need some work in that. We've been messed up by people who abused it. We've been messed up by our own cynicism. We've been messed up by our own corruptedness in our hearts. God, so many of us don't find delight in giving. Or maybe some of us once did, and we want to get back to it, but we don't know how. so God, this morning my prayer is that your spirit would stir up the affections in our hearts for Christ. Start there. Start there so that we would remember how great a savior we have. And as we remember that, we would remember how great sinners we are. Just like Paul. God, you, you took a man who was killing Christians and you revealed yourself to him and you changed his course of life. So that instead of taking delight, and joy killing Christians, he now takes delight. Enjoy in the Savior. God, some people this morning need to know the Savior. Maybe as they're, they're listening, they're realizing, you know what, I don't have really any worthy causes worth giving to. I, I really don't, don't know that I can give willingly like I've described this morning. But God, you can change that for them. And, and maybe they want that this morning. They want so much more. And they know there's more. God, what you showed them this morning. That's why Christ died. Because there's so much more. Mm-hmm. You sent Christ to die for sinners. You did it without obligation. Nobody was forcing you to do it. You did it out of love. You did it out of mercy. So that when he died in our place, and we trust his death, his resurrection and life, you give us what was his. What is his? Righteous. And God, the, the more we reflect on that, the more we remember that, the more our affections are stirred up for you. God, how could you love us so? And from that, God, would you move us so that we can give whatever that is, whatever that looks like, and find great joy in giving. Because as we do it, we know that's just a tiny glimpse of the great joy you have your son to die for sinners like us so God do your work we pray in Christ's name and do that with that let me dismiss this business you have a God who is able to act he has all power and all force and he did act and he was generous toward you toward me and he continues to be generous so go now and live generously So that others are drawn to a God who freely gives, not to you, but to him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.